everybody, it's your boy Omega. Welcome to a brand new comic to say the special. And today we have an amazing guest. I mean, it's gonna blow the roof off your head because th this woman does it all. I mean, I thought I did a lot, but first off, if we introduce her, this legend, let me introduce a fellow crusader that also does a lot of stuff with the crusaders on the side as an independent creator, the one, the only Mr. Jeff Racy. How you doing, bro? I'm good. I'm good. And you're obviously doing pretty great. Yeah, I'm always doing good. It's a good day. It's Friday Eve. You know, I'm hanging with a fellow crusader and I'm like about to hang out with a legend. I mean, uh, this is a, a woman that does it all, a producer, a director, a, an acting mentor. She, she runs a conservatory. Oh, my God. I mean, a director I mean, got, that got films that have come out, films that are being made. I mean, films that are, I mean, listen, she does it all. I'm impressed. The one, the only, the legendary, the mighty, Michelle Dan Wepa. How you doing? Hi, how are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you for coming through to the Comic Crusaders podcast special today. I, I appreciate you coming through and giving us your time because I know it's important because, listen, folks, this woman over here, I'm telling you, uh, has a full palette. I, I, I can't believe how she manages her time. I, I got to learn here. So you know, <laughs> let's learn from this legendary lady right here. Let's reel it back just a tad, if you will, because we love our good origin story at the Comic Crusaders family. You know, tell us your origin story. Where are you originally from? And, and, and the first thing you ever, ever fell in love with in fandom. So I, I was born in New York, but my dad opened the very first William Morris agency <laughs> in Paris, in France, in the 60s. So we moved there. And I grew up and you know, probably fell in love. My first love was French literature. I was an avid reader and I would read a lot and I'd cut classes to go to the movies. And I have a vivid memory of going to see Young Frankenstein with Gene Wilder on the Champs-Élysées. So, yeah, I mean, I've always loved to read and, and to, storytelling is at the core of everything that I've been always passionate about. Okay. Okay. So, so okay, so here, that, that's your first love. Your father has an agency. All right, so then, then was that how you started stepping in? You know, what, what's the story? What, what's the story of you breaking in, and, 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 you know, to, the, to that moment where you said, okay, I want to do this for my life? I think in school, I read, for instance, a novel by Alexandre Dumas called The Queen's Necklace, The Affair of the Necklace. And with Louis XVI, the king with his mistress and Marie Antoinette. And I remember being fascinated with that. And I adapted into a play. And I cast everybody in the school. So the teachers thought it was awesome. But then I kind of revolutionized the school because I pulled kids out of the classes to do rehearsals. And, you know, basically the performances. And it was like an, a really big venture that I did. So I... Teachers both loved me and were like, ah, she's making us crazy. But the students really liked it. I, I, when I first moved to, the, to Paris, I was La Petite Américaine, the little American girl. And How so, old were you when that happened? Four. And they would bully me and they would tease me and they'd put frogs in my bag and I'd be like, ah. <laughs> and they'd wow. try to cut my hair. And I was a whole thing. I was wow. definitely the little American girl that they would tease and make fun of. And then I guess I found a way to turn it around for myself. And I became, you know, this like casting director. I gave opportunities to people to act. And everybody was so excited about it. And 
they and I became the most popular girl in <laughs> school. I went from the little girl that was being bullied to like the most popular girl. I found my way to the you know the other side. All right. So I gotta ask before I move on to Bracy, did any of those bullies ever try to be cast at any any projects, and did you just deny them because you could? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I was very all-encompassing. Hey, <laughs> Politically correct. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, so those were my early years growing up in Paris. And of course, you know, the upbringing was, you know, just very intellectual. I would always go to the library and walk out with two bags filled with 19 books. Yeah, pre, pre- so I, books. <laughs> yeah, I just love I love going to the movies. I love going to the theater. I organized different things. Actually, I rented a theater in in Paris. No, actually, I didn't rent it. They gave it to me for free. It was the municipality gave it to me. And we staged Antigone, a French play by oh. Jean Nouy. And I cast all these people. And then at the end, we went like we collected with the hats, you know, donations. Yeah. Everybody gave us like a lot of money. So we went back to the house and I divided it amongst everybody. And that was a great experience. Yeah, you know, at a very young age, I was not only creative, but I was also very proactive. I Hmm. found a way to get to do my art and not just, you know, talk about it. I just wanted to get it done. And that, I think, is something that has followed me until this moment. You know, I don't just talk about doing things. I do them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. So when I tell my students, you know, you got to, Get off your butts and you've got to, you know, get on with it. You've got to, I don't just, you know, talk. I, I say to them, you know, I walk the talk as well. Oh, during our backstage segment, you were telling us a few things like the, that with your, with your father having started the William Morris agency, it's almost like you're auditioning from the time you could walk <laughs> talk and you would, you would tap dance on the table for folks. It's this, you're really raised up in, in the culture of entertainment. And I was wondering out of all the things you've done because you 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 mentor, you write, you direct, you produce, you do all these things. What is your favorite aspect? What's your favorite what's your passionate what what is your passion of like this whole creative endeavor of like being involved in theater and film? Everything that I do, I love equally. I, I have an equal passion for theater and film. When I go to New York, I go to see as many shows as I can see. Here in LA, I see as much. If I travel all over the world, I find myself into a theater. Obviously, I love making movies because I've been making them. I can't isolate one thing that I like more than the other. The teaching to me is feels, you know, something that I'm, I'm contributing. I'm passing down the knowledge. The acting is great because you know, I always feel like I lose a lot of weight when I act, <laughs> you know, so because I'm using myself emotionally instead of going to get, you know, ice cream and pizza and cookies. I don't need that because I'm using myself in that way already. Directing I like because you get to sign the painting, you know, you get to do the composition, you get to pick the colors and the textures. And that's what, what I love first, about directing. What came for us, Michelle? Was it the teaching or the directing? The acting. The acting came first, which made me understand deeply an actor's process and how courageous actors have to be. And then the directing came after that. And then, no, no, I'm sorry, the teaching came after that. But I was also directing. It was basically together, you know. It was hand in hand. I would direct theater and, and then started to direct film over 20 years ago. And I've made 
seven or eight, I'm not counting anymore, feature films. And yeah, I'm excited because I have one coming out October 6th. I'm going to plug. It's Miranda's Victim. What is it called? Miranda's Victim. It's a courtroom thriller with uh, Abigail Breslin in the lead. A very courageous story about a brave, based on a true story. It's what about how the Miranda rights came about. Wow, okay. And when the movie was offered to me, I had no idea. I was like, oh my God, no one's made this story. No one said, you know, my last movie, The Runner, I had, you have the right to remain silent. You have the right, you know, but I never questioned like where did that story came from? Where did it originate from? And so it turned out it was actually a great, fascinating story. And it was never told, neither through a documentary or a miniseries or not even a Law and Order episode. Interesting. So this is, a, it's the true story of Patricia Weir and how the Miranda Rights came about. And we're going to be released on October 6th. And there's some extraordinary acting legends in this movie. Donald Sutherland is in it. Ooh. And, you know, Andy Garcia, Kyle McClock and Ryan Felipe, Luke Wilson. Emily Van Camp, Josh Bowman, Dan Loria. No, I'm forgetting people. Enrique Morciano, who's incredible in it. Brent Sexton. Mireille Nos, who's beyond the beyond. She plays the mother of Abigail Breslin. Did I mention Emily Van Camp? I mean, it's got this cast. Nolan Gold, Taryn Manning. It's got this. ensemble cast. Yeah, it's great. It, yeah. It's remarkable because I like, you know, of all the years we've heard on like, TV and film, Miranda Rice, it never even occurred to me as like, why are they called the Miranda rights? Who's that? Miranda? <laughs> I mean, never questioned it. Yeah, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Then they have to watch the movie now. So then That's you'll true. know the true historical, you know, details behind this incredible story. Uh-huh. That's one of the great things about being a creative, though, is like sometimes you just run across some little thing and you're like, this story hasn't been told yet. And I get to be the one to do it. And so that's a really remarkable thing you get to do. Yeah. Now, I understand that you. You work in multiple genres, but your favorite turns out to be comedy. And particularly, you are fond of French comedy. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I've, you know, always loved French actors. And I, I just finished shooting a comedy called The Italians. But it could be called, you know, The French Family or The American Family. It's going to have a universality to it. And again, I was just so blessed to have this cast that came to do it. Rob Estes, I'm acting in this one, so oh. which is, which is fun. Hey. And Lainey Kazan plays my mother, and Matthew Daddario plays my son, and Abigail Breslin is in it. Oh, yeah. All right, for a second, are you directing this as well? I was directing and acting. Yeah, uh, I've always thought that's got to be a really a really tough gig, but and I know I'm gonna get a lot of questions about that, but you know what? It wasn't for me. Uh, first of all, I have a great team. A lot of the people I've worked with before were on this movie. So I had a relationship to everybody. And the the energy on set behind the camera, in front of the camera, was just extraordinary. And I wasn't the only one to say it. Everybody said it. It was just an incredible experience. And, yeah, I, I had help. You know, I have my producers that I've worked with for over 30 years that ages me considerably. I have... <laughs> You know, my son, who, you know, goes to USC, studies theater and film, and he was there, so supportive. And so I had I had the help. Well, I um, love that. A family yeah. affair for you. Yeah, but nevertheless, but it's possible. You can do it. You just have to know little tricks. It's little tricks that you have to know. But it was definitely like a lot of fun. Every single day of the 18 days that we shot, I was just, 
you know, having so much fun, which that was my goal. If anything, I just wanted to have fun. And that happened. You know, it's, I find it remarkable that you say that because you have a little bit of an air of Terry Gar about you when I look at you here. <laughs> and she talked about Young Frankenstein was, in fact, her first film. And she talked about how much fun that film was. And she thought this will be the greatest career because filmmaking is always going to be fun until she learned otherwise. <laughs> It's right. like it's like Mel Brooks had a very fun set, obviously. But I would think that having started as an actor and then working as a director, that must be quite a boon to you on set because you understand the actor's perspective. I do. I, I think the actors feel that. I do understand them deeply. And I know, you know, and I, but I never take it for granted that I know how to talk to an actor. You know, you have to have a sensitivity to what to say and not to say too much and when to say it. And, and sometimes to say nothing at all. Sometimes I'm in Video Village and somebody will whisper something in my ear and, you know, and I don't give the note. Because you have to also know when to not give a note. Mm. Um, you know, because you can put an actor in their head and you don't want to do that. That's the worst thing that you want to do. You want to create a space where an actor feels safe, they can explore and they can take risks. That's the ultimate goal. Now that's fascinating to me because I've enjoyed watching things, of course, like inside the actor's studio and the directors and the Bravo channel and seeing the perspectives from two sides. And as a director, knowing there are some actors who just want to be left alone. They want to craft the identity themselves and roll with it. And you just kind of like set the stage for them and other actors who I don't want to say they're insecure, but they crave direction. They they crave that input from the director and having to figure out who needs what and how best to approach them. That's it's quite that's, a skill to have. That is. That's that's the skill you have to develop. And my son wants to direct. And I say, you know, just just be sensitive to that. You know, but I think he's learning. Just be sensitive how to talk to actors. Yeah. Let me ask you here, because of your multiple, you know, roles, how do you balance those roles, you know, as a teacher, director, entrepreneur, you know, uh, uh, even? Well, you can't do everything at once, and you <laughs> have to know your limitations, you know, so I don't think you can be grandiose about what you can accomplish and what you can't. But uh, I work with a good list. You know, I have a list, and, you know, I try to get it done. And you know, not procrastinate. So, how hard are you? Uh, how hard are you on yourself? And how disciplined would you say you are? I don't know that I'm so hard on myself. I tried. I've tried throughout the years to develop kindness towards myself. You know, I'm not a big one to believe in the whip and <laughs> whipping you. You know, so I have had my indulgences, but I have grown more into discipline. There's a line of dialogue, movie dialogue that I love in the movie Heat with Robert De Niro. He talks about walking away from something and, you know, what is it, 15 seconds flat? And he goes, that's the discipline. He goes, of course, he doesn't have that discipline in the movie, but I've always loved the way he delivered that line, you know, that's the discipline. So I've tried to be disciplined. You know, I really, I, I try as much as possible. It's an ongoing work in process. Now, speaking of discipline, so I'm wondering about your approach on set as a director. Are you into rehearsals? Do you do a lot of preparation, storyboarding, anything like that? Are you some some directors like to kind of fly by the seat of their pants a little bit? Others are just so organized to the nth degree. I'm curious I'm about in, your. I'm in the middle of all of that. 
I'm not so organized. And I, I, I do like to do some storyboarding. I have a wonderful storyboard artist that I've storyboarded with. I do like to have a shot list. But then again, you know, sometimes you don't have time to, you know, map out every single shot you're going to do. And then you have to be flexible. You have to get there and you have to feel it out. You've got to look at the rehearsal. You have to look at what the actors bring to the table. You've got to craft that. And based on that, the shot list changes. But, you know, improvisation comes from great preparation. So I mm. do like to be prepared as much as I can be and, and, and improvise from that. Now, as for your teaching style, we know there are a multitude of different methods of styles of acting and acting teaching. What's your approach? What do you, what do you impart to your students? I'm a great believer in, you know, I, I believe in progressive education. My son, I two sons, one of them just started, you know, high school. And I chose a, particularly a progressive school here in L.A. that, you know, I feel like they are developing new thinkers, you know, for the, for the next generation. And that's very much what my philosophy is in terms of teaching actors. I think that you have to be open to you know, I believe in all different techniques. And, you know, I studied with Stella Adler when I was a teenager and she's very dogmatic and made me want to run. But by the same token, I didn't run. I stayed and I learned from her and rightly so. <laughs> she had some gold to, you know, to teach us. I love that word gold because I've developed a class, a master class called the Golden Box, which is the Golden Box that actors have where they put their tools, not only the tools that they learn through different techniques, because that's basically what I embrace, you know, mm -hmm. and Sandy Meisner and Stella Adler and Uta Hagen and Michael Chekhov. So I'm not just one thing. I believe in getting it from everywhere. And then you learn things when you're on set, when you're on stage, you put those tools in your toolbox. And of course, life lessons give you those tools as well. And those join that golden box that only you have the key. And so this, this box that the artists put together for themselves where they, you know, draw, draw upon is a, is a great box. It's a very individualized box. And that's what I love about teaching acting or sending my kids to school is that it's not this herd mentality where everybody used to, you come to the middle and you're the same, that everybody is unique. Everybody is an individual and needs to be taught that way. Yeah, I really like your uh, your take on things there because I've seen actors who are brilliant, but they're they're very locked into a particular approach, and you get to see that in their performances if you follow them long enough. So I like yeah, that. I think that you know the the gold in a performance is the ability to be able to let go, to find mm -hmm. freedom in your choices, and that's when you hit some really wonderful moments that have universality in them. And that move audiences, if we know that art changes people's lives, and it does, and art, you know, moves, you know, people, it makes them want to do things that normally they, they wouldn't do, or they wouldn't get in touch with. So I think that to be able to create a space where artists can take risks is, is the key. Awesome. Before you ask that question, Brace, I want to know here, then, talking about spaces <laughs> where creators could get this stuff. Talk about the Creative Center for the Arts in the Los Angeles Acting yeah. Conservatory. Yeah, so, you know, we have, we have some wonderful, wonderful space. It's a little quaint little theater where magic happens and we're a beautiful outdoor area, which we also, you know, have classes in. And, you know, we do a lot of, there's a lot of great, 
projects that happen, whether it's classes or the programs. We have a Los Angeles Acting Conservatory. We have students from all over the world that come study at our school. We have a great faculty of teachers, which is great because that, you know, enables me to go make a movie because I know that our students, you know, have some great teachers. And also a lot of our students come on set. That's the other thing. And then they get cast in productions and there's nothing like hands-on experience mm. to make you understand, you know, what it takes to really be a working actor in Hollywood. I like that they get to come on the set like that and get that behind the scenes take on things. So, you know, before they, before they graduate or what have you, they get an idea of how the production actually works. That's right. And it's just as valuable to come on set and to be in front of the camera and behind the camera. We've had several of our students come and, you know, be PAs and production coordinators and work with the camera, work with sound to really understand, you know, work with, with the actors, you know, assist, you know, some of the great actors that came on set. That that's an invaluable experience. Well, Absolutely, it's it. I I think it's I think it's very warranted to know as much about how the the production of a play or a movie or whatever you're getting involved in works. From like, if you can, you know, get the foundation on up, it just makes you better overall. Yeah, totally. That's that's why you. I mean, I remember when I was you know studying acting in New York when I was a teenager and studying with Uta Hagen and Stella Adler and Herbert Bergdorf and some really extraordinary teachers, I would also, you know, do a lot of plays. And that's how you get your, your experience. Hmm. Now, speaking of which, okay, so you've got your aspiring actors coming to you, first day of class. Uh, I was going to ask the, the thing that everybody asked, like, oh, you know, what's your advice for aspiring actors? But I'm going to take that in a different direction. Your first day of <laughs> class, your bright, fresh, new faces, what do you say to them on their first day? Just be patient, hang out, listen, study, learn. Don't be in a hurry. Everybody wants it fast. Including me sometimes, you know, the impatience of life. And just chill a little bit, breathe, hang out. How long before you learn that lesson personally? <laughs> <laughs> You know, what really taught me that lesson in a huge way was COVID. So I haven't gotten COVID until today. I don't have it today, <laughs> but I, you know, yeah. I haven't gotten, but you know, like everybody else, I was home for a while and I was cutting a movie, this movie called The Runner. And, you know, always on the treadmill, always running. And that was the big advice that my dad handed down to me, but I didn't really listen. You know, he said to me, you're going to get there anyway. And I know I mm. see it all the time when you drive, you know. If you rush and if you, you know, you muscularize and then somebody will will be faster than you and they'll beat the horn and then you both get at the light at the same time, you know. And you mm -hmm. look over and that person's like frantic. And I just think it's okay to take it easy. That's what I try and teach my kids, you know. Just it's okay. You don't have to. You're you're valuable because of everything you've done so far. If you don't have to do another single thing, you're going to be fine. Mm. But it was great because it really put a pause on the treadmill. It really paused it, and you were forced to just take a break. And I like that. And I like the fact that I didn't have to be somewhere or do something, and you know, go to see every play that I can see, or you know, no, it's fine. 
so that was that's probably the the time in my life where I learned it the most. And having said that, a lot during COVID, I traveled a lot. I did a lot of stuff during COVID. I mean, that's great though, because like there's a lot of I've had the opportunity to talk to a number of indie filmmakers, and the majority of these films that I've viewed now were shot and produced during COVID. And seeing how the constraints of that time force people to get like really creative and do some very interesting things that they might not have done otherwise. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, I didn't shoot, well, we did shoot a couple of shorts during COVID, but I didn't shoot a feature film. Well, but I did shoot Miranda's Victim a year ago. That was still during COVID. So you see me wearing, mm-hmm. I, I asked if I could wear the clear mask so that, you know, the actors could see my lips moving when I spoke. And, it, it turned out to backfire on me, that clear mask. So, you know, it's like basically a mask, it's all clear. So we were shooting in this very authentic police station and courthouse of the 60s. And, you know, between the texture of the fire and between the actors smoking the cigarettes that they would be smoking in the 60s, all of that smoke came under the mask. Oh, no. <laughs> and I got super sick. I almost had to have surgery. But, uh, oh, but even then, I didn't lose a moment of shooting. Like urgent care called me because I had gone during lunch and they go, you have to run to the hospital because you may have this thing in your throat and blah, blah, blah. And I was oh. like, well, I still have six hours to go here. I mean, if I go to the emergency room, you know, there's no shooting happening today. Uh, so I stayed and they're like, no, you have to go. You could die. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm here. I'm good. <laughs> and I shot for another six hours. Then that's I went to the emergency room. I'm picturing you like with the camera. I'm picturing you put with the camera and just the emergency doctors there. You're like, hey, hold on, hold on. Oh, that way, that way. All right, now go cut, you know? So. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I went and they gave me like an IV and steroids, which I didn't want to take, but I had to because I had an infection, but no surgery, which was good. Mm. So I wasn't down for a second on set. Bless Thank you. goodness for that. <laughs> oh, fantastic for that. So, can you share any memorable moments or experience from the very multifaceted career you've had? Oh, God, I don't know. There's <laughs> like moments of experience. That'd be a laundry list. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, the last day of Miranda's victim, since that's always very present. I had We had lost time because there were thunderstorms in New Jersey in June. So we lost scenes. And I had oh. to make them up the very last day. It was the very last day of shooting. and. That was it. That was either cut them or make it happen. And I needed those scenes. And I remember swimming earlier in the day. Our call time was 5 p.m. And I remember swimming. And and there was this bird that came perched on the edge of the rail. And I looked at this bird and I said, how am I going to get all these setups today? Like, how am I going to do this? And this bird stayed with me for a while. I had this conversation with this bird. Which, of course, I thought was my dad because my dad, you know, passed away. So I went on set and told my DP and my first AD, he loves hearing this story, that, guys, we've got 27 setups and this has to happen today because it's just, this is it. If I don't get it, I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) You told them because the bird told us to. The bird told us to. They both told me I was crazy and that it was not going to happen and I need to, you know, reevaluate what I was and I said no guys we're gonna make this happen and I don't know what it was that day but 
I had split the locations. It was the, the big rape scene we were shooting that day. And I, w- I had allocated a whole day to it. And now I only had a few hours to do it. And well, so the first location was this bus stop. And I said, we have to be out of here at 11 because we have to move to another. It was a company move. You, you know, when you're shooting, it's like insanity. Yeah. I said, we're moving to another location. And I didn't want to try and get meal penalties because that was going to be really expensive for everybody because I was also a producer on the movie. So I had that hat on too. And and sure enough, you know, it's like we got out of there exactly on the dot, not a minute before, not a minute later, exactly at 1130, we walked out of there. It was 11. We walked out of there and going to the other location, which was the beach. And my DP is like, we're not going to be able to get all these setups in the car. And also the light comes on at 430 in the morning. You're not going to get the last hour. And I'm like, no, we're going to black out the windows and we're going to go handheld in the car and I'll direct it. I'll go in the car with the <laughs> camera person and we're going to get exactly what I need. So at the end of it, we stopped at 530 in the morning. Exactly. It was apocalyptic as the sun was rising on the ocean and everybody came because it was a wrap, you know. So it's like, yeah. you don't know how many people were there. 50, 70 people came. It was a big movie. It was like a wrap. And then I said I was going to be home at 7 a.m. And I had my housekeeper that came with me to the house we rented on the ocean. And I walked in at 7 a.m., not at 7.01, not at 6.59. So that was like a story that will always stick with me because it was the power of intent. I walked in and I said I was going to do it. And no matter what, I was going to make it happen. And and it happened. I really appreciate that that can-do spirit. It reminds me very much of Steven Spielberg on Jaws and the shark wouldn't work for most of the production you know his whole career is hanging on balance of this and he just all right we're just going to keep doing it until something works in the meantime i'll figure out something else and it it takes that to push through and get things done when because things happen and i really applaud you for making all of that happen that's right so watch miranda's victim it's coming out october 6th i'm very excited about the movie the trailer is going to be on people.com exclusively i think monday yeah, that's why we don't have any scoops, folks, because, you know, it hasn't dropped yet, but it's dropping. And I- I'm sure I'll ask Lori to send me that link so we can share it on the website because yeah. we need to see this. Because you got me Great. very intrigued because I-, I love, you know, those type of bio doco type flicks. You know what I mean? And I never, again, perfect thing that Brady brought up. No one ever asked who Miranda was. <laughs> I know. I know. It's great. I'm just so, so thrilled I got to direct this movie. Fantastic. So with that, uh, uh, basically you got one more. So that, and then and then uh, uh, I'm pretty sure she's a busy busy woman with multiple hats. Come on now. <laughs> well, like something is uh, again you brought up in our backstage a little bit. You've got yet a, another movie coming. Out. I believe you said this one's going to be a sci-fi movie as well. Helios was it? Yes, I'm very excited about this movie. This is a pretty big movie. It's got a lot of sponsorships in it. Blue Horizon. It's advertised. You know, we, we get NASA support. We probably will shoot some stuff there. It's oh, wow. beautifully well-written sci-fi movie about disasters. And I just think, you know, watching what's happened in Morocco and, and Libya, and you know, it just these natural disasters can be prevented. And this is what the story is. You know, it's human beings, you know, stepping up to the plate and making extraordinary things happen. I love this story. It's about sun flares and it's, you know, sci-fi. And I think it's going to be a really fun, entertaining movie, moving story that people will see. Yeah, the movie's called Helios. And as soon as, you know, the strike is over, we're going to start pre-production. Yay. 
Right, what's uh what's your part going to be to play here? Are you directing, writing, producing, all of that? <laughs> directing, writing, producing. <laughs> <laughs> Woman of many talents Box right here, D. folks. Box D. Not acting in this one. Yeah. Of course, how Michelle? How how you expect Michelle to do it? This is what she does. You know, she's gonna take charge. She's gonna get it done. She wills the things to happen. She is a superpower woman in the industry, right here, kicking ass. You're for real. A big salute to you. I want to thank you so much for joining us today to talk. You know about your career, what you do, these upcoming films. You know. And the way you flip it, I mean, we're going from, from a drama-type flick to, to a sci-fi flick, and then you got comedies, you got everything up there. <laughs> so again, just, just thank you, Michelle, uh, for what you do for us to keep us entertained and putting smiles on our faces or making us think. We need more people like you in the world. So just thank you. Continue doing what you do, especially with the mentoring. You know, that, that that's fantastic. Bless. Many blessings on that. All thank right? much. Thank you. No, no, you thank you. And with that, Gracie, thank you for hanging out with Mr. Mega today on the Comic Crusaders special. We have to, you know what it is. Follow ComicCrusaders.com everywhere as well as UndercoverTapes.com. Hasta la próxima. You know what it is. Weepah!